Joining us right now, our good friend Ryan Ballinger from GolfNewsNet.com, GNN Radio. Ryan, how are you, man? Hey, happy new year to you guys. It's still going to always be Twitter to me, so yes. um, <laughs> I will never be able to call it X. So what do you do now? Do you X or do you tweet? What is, how, do you, how, do you, how do you put that into an action, action verb? I mean, the Twitter domain is still the one they use. Not like it's x.com, it's twitter.com. So uh, I guess it's still tweets, but maybe it's posts. I I don't know, but uh, it's still Twitter to me. And uh, we'll, we'll, if I ever have to change, then uh, maybe I'll just leave the surface because I, I think I'll just go on Twitter. <laughs> oh man well look uh you mentioned the circus uh i i think it, you know first of all it's great to see pga tour golf uh again this week uh, the sweeping views at kapalua and the fact that they're able to play following the devastating wildfires and that kind of thing but you know the the thing that stood out to me is the mckenzie hughes comments so far with you know the way he talked about um, you know, entitlement and that he feels compelled to speak to the fan who is uh, having to deal with the circus that's been going on surrounding uh, player defections and this live golf startup and all that kind of thing. Uh, what were your, what were your thoughts on Mackenzie Hughes, his comments and what do you, how do you see this playing out over the next several months? I, I became a bigger Mackenzie Hughes fan of what he said. I mean, I appreciate what he said, not as, just someone who works in golf media, but just someone who likes golf. That's someone who watches professional golf and cares about it and is a consumer of it because the last couple of years have been a circus and the product has changed. And it's been a bunch of guys who are worth a lot of money fighting over even more money, or at least that's the perception of it. And ultimately no, no fan cares how much money these guys make that, that that should have been clear long ago, but it definitely is clear now. And for him to be able to just kind of go out there and say, yeah, I kind of wish I was considered part of this group of you know, 25 guys that met at the, the BMW championship in Delaware a couple of years ago that I wasn't even thought well enough to be part of that. That bothers me that, that we have a product that's totally torn apart and I'd love to see it kind of all come together. That bothers me. That, you know, I don't really know what's coming next. That bothers me. I think he spoke not only for himself, but for a lot of people. And uh, I'm yeah. glad that he said something. Yeah, you know, the part I really enjoyed about his comments was that it's not a right to play on the PGA Tour. That's, you know, it's a yeah. privilege. Um, and I thought, man, that's a refreshing comment, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it feels like it's kind of been lost in all of this. Um, that being able to play professional sports for a living and particularly on the PGA tour is a tremendous opportunity. It's a tremendous privilege. It's not your birthright. It's not something you created. It's something bigger than you. And it's going to be here hopefully long after you, so to speak, are not playing professional golf. And that's the point of it. And I think the recognition at some point needs to set in and, and maybe it'll be years until this happens again, that golf is a niche sport with an outsized valuation coming in at the moment because of one particular actor. And if you go back and look at the Nielsen ratings for all of the most watched telecasts of the year, whether that's regular TV, sports, whatever, 96 of the 100 are live, but almost all of them are football or baseball. None of them are golf. Golf was like the the best golf broadcast of the year 
was the masters. I had 12 million people after that. The best was like 6 million. And that's, that's just not a lot. I mean, four and a half million people watched a darts match the other night in Britain. And we have 6 million people who watch the U S open. We are a niche <laughs> sport. Let's get over the fact that we're a niche sport. But and as long as this kind of money thing exists, guys who are in a kind of niche sport in a small sport, uh, they get caught up in their own world and start thinking about what they're worth relative to that world. And eventually there's going to be a reset, but I don't know when that's going to come. Ryan Ballinger joining us here on Real Golf Radio. So uh, this is kind of a kumbaya phase as well between Liv and Piff. We know they kicked the can down the road a little bit on the agreement deadline that was the end of uh, 2023. And so they're still talking. There's the U.S.-based sports group that's involved in the discussions as well. Rory went on a podcast on Sky Sports and and kind of changed his tune a little bit, softened his tune at least, and suggested that he was maybe a little too judgmental. Uh, Phil Mickelson jumped in and supported Rory in his words and said it's time to kind of put things behind us and and heal and move forward. What, what do you make of the conversations that have come specifically out of those two players, and and do you, do you think this is all part of that melding process and that we're not far away from this uh, all coming back together? I didn't necessarily have the same interpretation of McElroy's comments as Phil did. I really thought a lot of what McElroy said was a version of something he said in the past that other than that, he was perhaps too judgmental of players who took the money in the first place. But even that was kind of a weird flex because he's like, well, not everyone has the same money as me and Tiger Woods. <laughs> That's a way of saying I'm richer than all you poors. So I kind of understand why you might have taken the money. I don't know if that was so much a kumbaya thing as it was a, a reality check, so to speak, uh, for himself. But he still clearly doesn't like Liz. He still clearly doesn't like that this happened. He definitely doesn't like Greg Norman. I mean, none of those things have changed. I think he's just kind of softened and said, I, I get why people took the money. I, I may not have liked why it happened or how it happened, but I get why they took the money. Because I think at his core, McElroy is very much a people person, and he very much cares about relationships like those. That's why he's kind of gone back and had a heart-to-heart with Sergio, and they're better off. And, uh, you know, he, he's tried to get along with some of the Ryder Cup folks who have gone to live. Maybe not some, but some of the ones that he likes. And so I don't necessarily view the whole thing as a, just a kumbaya moment, as Phil and, and Greg Norman have interpreted it. But it does seem to be at least part of a general kind of softening of the, the back and forth here because eventually it seems like a deal is going to get done. It might not be today or tomorrow, but they're going to work out something. And at some point, someone's got to start the conversation on the PGA Tour side of not being as publicly bitter about it all. And maybe McElroy views his role as kind of being the, the start of that. So, so as to say, yeah, I didn't, I'm, I'm still very bitter. <laughs> you know, I don't like what happened, but we have to find a way to welcome people back and, and maybe language is the start of that. You know, Ryan, I agree with you, especially from the standpoint that Rory said he understands why the guys took the money, no doubt about it. Um, he didn't give any glowing recommendations or or put a stamp of approval on live golf or anything like that. But the other thing that's kind of interesting about what's happening is kicking the can down the, 
down the road about another three months to to March 31st. It's uh, it's only a week away from the first major the year in the Masters. I find that kind of interesting that they're extending it out to that point. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people in the golf world, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody else, by the way, uh, we kind of pick the Masters as though it's, it's almost like tax day. Like, you know, it's every year. It's kind of this important point. It's almost like a quarter ending in golf, so to speak. And you go, okay, well, if we get it done by the Masters, you know, then everything's great. And I, I think that's just kind of a date people pick out of thin air and go, all right, well, if we kind of get it sorted by the first major of the year, then we don't distract from that. And we can announce to the world when the biggest possible audience is paying attention to golf that we've all healed up and everything's fine and this is going to be our path moving forward, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't think that they're necessarily trying to you know, show up Augusta or anything like that. I think they just realize that most people are going to pay attention to golf is that first full week in April. And if they don't have something done by then, they might lose an opportunity to get some people back uh, because they've lost a lot of people, lost a lot of people's attention over the last couple of years. Ryan Balangy, golfnewsnet.com joining us. All right, let's talk about uh, some way too early predictions. When you start looking at this season and you look at major championship venues, obviously the Masters at Augusta, the PGA will be at Valhalla in Kentucky, uh, Pinehurst hoping the, hosting the U.S. Open, and then the Open Championship goes to Royal Troon. Are there players that just jump out at you as here's the guys that I'm excited to see play in those venues or somebody that, that kind of you think it might rise. I mean, Victor Hovland has to be the first one that shows up. If I just looked at the scoring average of, uh, from last year, they're in the top five. The only two players in the top five in the scoring average from last year on the PGA tour that are not already major championship winners are Victor Hovland and Xander Shoffley. And you could at least argue that Shoffley has a gold medal, right? So, um, if, to me, Victor Hovland is the is the number one guy that you got to look at if you're putting some money on a, a first time major winner in 2024. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think there's some thought that we love narratives, right? So I think I've seen enough people say, "Oh, well, Brooks will come back and win the Masters because he's gotten close so many times that he obviously kind of blew it uh, this past year." Although credit to Ron for for being the better player, the final 36. Um, you know, Victor Hovland's name is going to come up a bunch. I feel like people slot him in for a PGA championship because that's the perception that it's the easiest to win. That's the one that's most like a tour event. So Hovland's been great on the tour. You figure he'll do well at a place like Valhalla that rewards a long hitter that isn't crazy punishing, but it's punishing enough. And if you want to make the interpretation about a Jack Nicklaus design, then you've got that too. And Hovland won a memorial, the ultimate Jack course, so to speak. So maybe, maybe people think about that. Pinehurst, I'm just happy to see again in the rotation. I mean, I, I, I really enjoy number two. I, I think it kind of got a bad rap last time around after the Renault and Mark Keimer won because there was this thought that it's not as tough as it once was because the fairways are pretty much wide wide open everywhere. There aren't five-inch deep rough patches anymore at number two. That's, that's not what it is. But I, I still think that it's a great venue, and you've got to be a good high-quality ball striker to win there. Maybe not the best putter in the world because of the difficulty of the green, but you got to play really well for tee to green, and that speaks to me like Scotty Scheffler might win at Pinehurst number two. And then Troon is just a great, tough venue that I think people don't appreciate enough in the, in the Open Championship rotation. I think when you think of your best ones, you probably think of the old course and then maybe go into like Carnoustie and Muirfield, depending on how your preference is. And then some of the others kind of get lost, but I think Troon is a solid A-tier venue 
uh, among the open rotation. So uh, it does have a tendency to produce the weird champions, but I'm I'm totally cool with that too. Uh, that <laughs> we we need Brian Harmons of the world. We need new major champions. So if we get a new major champion at Troon, I'm cool with that too. That's great. Isn't that where Justin Leonard and uh, let's see, Justin Leonard, Ernie Els are two that come to mind. I think that one at Troon. Um, and I believe if it was at Troon, wasn't it where they had the playoff and, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. The Thomas LeVay, Thomas LeVay picked up Ernie Els after the playoff win. Wasn't that at Royal Troon? I, Do you remember, I that? remember that? It was one of these really awkward was, moments. Was Todd Hamilton was Todd Hamilton Troon. Yes, he was. Cause that, that was, I mean, that's one of the shock of shocks right after Ben, I mean, Ben Curtis was first and then him, um, but that, I mean, that was the last my one of my lasting memories of Troon. And then you had when in 2016, you had the duel between Mickelson and uh, Henry Stenson. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. It, it, there's some great golf. It might not be what you exactly you expected, but it's been some really captivating golf at Royal Troon the last couple of times now. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so who are the picks? Right down the line, Masters. I thought he just I mean, gave some pretty good layout, and you're gonna now, now you're gonna pin him down did, on it. Huh? But I'm, I'm locking him down. Oh, to you're locking name. him in. Wow, look at see what Bob's <laughs> doing there. So here's here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking right right now that, and I and I won't actually put any of this money down until, especially with the Masters, till like three weeks out. But right. I would think probably I would look at like Brooks or Scotty for the Masters. I would definitely look at Scotty Scheffler for the U.S. Open, uh, you know, skipping over the PGA where I think Victor Hovland is probably the right pick. Or maybe Max Homa. Um, I'd like to see, I think Max getting that top 10 at the last Open Championship, his first top 10 in a major, is a significant deal. I think it's a big deal. Um, okay. So I, I think he can come through and break through and won this year. So I'll slide him for Troon, and then we'll, we'll try those four guys for the, the majors this year. I was mistaken. Nice. Ernie Els won at uh, Muirfield in oh. uh, 2002, 2002. And, then, and then Litham and St. Anne's in 12. It might have been the Litham and St. Anne's. I, I don't know. I can't remember which one the Thomas LeVay lifting him up. But Thomas LeVay, I remember, just went up to bait maybe like his belt line, but he like hoists up Ernie Els <laughs> when he won. It was, a, it was just one of those moments I just can't get out of my mind. Uh, when he, <laughs> Kind of like kind of like the Paul McGinley celebration after the you know when he won the Ryder Cup. There's a couple of things that just stand in your mind for the for that. But uh, anyway, hey, Ryan, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Uh, here we go, 2024. Hoping for a good one. And as always, we appreciate your time and insights. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it so much. Looking forward to talking golf with you again this year. You got it. Uh, check out uh, GNN Radio on iHeartRadio channel, and uh, he's got some TV stuff in the works as well. Ryan Ballinger, GolfNewsNet.com. 